We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, alongside the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It is Jim Margulis as we record this episode Sunday night on January 8th, 2023. And we had plans for this episode to be a bit more upbeat. Uh, we just came off the uh, the hashtag 108 day show that we had at Reggie's Live with our friends from the 108. Uh, that was a lot of fun to be at and got to see a lot of folks uh, within the White Sox Twitter community and fans of Sox Machine. And of course, our friends Lawrence Holmes and Herbie Lawrence joining us in the panel. AJ Pollock is officially an old friend. Uh, signing with the Seattle Mariners so we could finally resolve that story on just how much money that he possibly left with the White Sox, if any money that he left with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Unfortunately, though, we have to start with this episode as late on Sunday on his personal Instagram, Liam Hendricks, the Chicago White Sox all-star closer, announced he was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and will begin treatment of his cancer starting on Monday, January 9th. And on his Instagram, Liam Hendricks wrote, As a professional athlete, I have always been mindful to try and use my position in the public eye to the most positive ends possible by shining a light on causes or issues that touch close to home for myself, my wife, and my family. It is in that spirit that I want to share some personal health news I have learned in the past few days and do so on my own terms. Recently, I was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hearing the word cancer came as a shock to my wife and I as it does to millions of families each year. However, I am resolved to embrace the fight and overcome this new challenge with the same determination I've used when facing other obstacles in my life. My treatment begins tomorrow, and I am confident that I will make a full recovery and be back on the mound as soon as possible. I know with the support of my family, my wife, my teammates, and the Chicago White Sox organization, along with the treatment and care for my doctors, I will get through this. The statement from the Chicago White Sox general manager Rick Hahn, quote, Our thoughts and reactions at this time are for Liam the person, not Liam the baseball player. I know the entire Chicago White Sox organization, our staff, his teammates, and certainly White Sox fans will rally in support of Liam and Christy during the coming months. 
Knowing everyone involved, especially Liam, we are optimistic he will pitch again for the White Sox as soon as viable. In the meantime, we will do everything in our power to support our teammate and his family as they face this challenge while also respecting their privacy. We do not expect to have any updates on Liam's playing status prior to opening day at the very earliest. Jim, for White Sox fans, this is really tough news to hear in the past Sunday night, learning that Liam Hendricks is going to start the season on the injured list because of this cancer diagnosis. It is. It uh, you know it definitely sucks, which is you know the I, I guess the the plainest way to say it, and, and you know uh, obvious and maybe trite way to say it. But there's really there there aren't multiple reads of the situation. It's bad news. It's and it's bad news that transcends like oh he you know he strained a hamstring or he you know. Uh, um, you know, tweaked an oblique or something like that. It's going to cost him, you know, six weeks. This is, you know, uh, indefinite. And not that say it's, you know, bad news or like that's going to be like, you know, I, I shouldn't say the worst news and it's going to be, uh, you know, a years long battle. It could be relatively brief, you know, I guess by, as cancer goes, like John Lester, I think was in 06. And then by the middle of 07, he recovered from his non-Hodgkin lymphoma. So, you know, there are a range of outcomes here and, and Spectrum is, uh, you know, from, you know, I guess a minor inconvenience to a career to, you know, something a lot more serious, but, you know, without knowing much right now, aside from the statement, you just, you know, you, you kind of pause the baseball thoughts and, and the, the attempts to try to map out potential bullpens and late inning combinations and high leverage guys. And just, you know, it, it, there's a time and place for that because it is a team sport and he's part of the team. And, and when he's gone from the team, there's uh, you know, discussion to be had as to who picks up the slack, but uh, immediately after learning the news, it's probably best to just try to tamp down those instincts and be more along the lines of just like, well, ho you know, hope, uh, you know, he handles it. You know, he and his wife are able to, to handle it well and, and hope that they have supports and, you know, seeing him uh, rally to other causes, it does seem like, you know, it is his mindset to try to, uh, you know, raise awareness, whether it's, you know, money for research, whether it's just money for, you know, support systems for facilities that do well to support families. Like, you know, I can see him, you know, using this to, I guess, you know, shine a light on organizations doing good work, uh, you know, quietly, you know, on this sort of stuff. So, you know, I, I guess that's the, you know, trying to, uh, look for uh, lemonade out of lemons, that would be it. And he seems like he does have that kind of mindset to try to make the best of a bad situation. Man, the last two seasons since Liam Hendricks has joined the Chicago White Sox, he has 75 saves in 127 games appeared, which is 128.2 thirds innings. He has racked up 198 strikeouts with a 4.3 war. And Obviously, on the field, he means a lot to the Chicago White Sox. But as you mentioned, Jim, the organizations that he shines light on. Ever since he's joined the Chicago White Sox, and this was well reported, especially from James Fegan of The Athletic, that part of the pursuit or his free agency landing with the White Sox is asking teams that were interested in him if they have Pride Night. Because that is a cause that's very near and dear to both Liam and his wife Christie's heart. And ever since he signed with the White Sox, he has been buying lunches and donating money to lots of first responders in the south side of Chicago, to schools, to 
medical care professionals, especially during COVID, is an appreciation or the aftermath of COVID uh, for all of their hard work and just letting them know from the Hendricks family that they're thinking about them. And here's a nice little gesture to help you out. And he's done that often since he's been with the Chicago White Sox. And he has been a nominee of the Roberto Clemente Award uh, from the Chicago White Sox. And he's been known to be a great teammate as well. So he is someone to, he's been easy to root for and easy to rally around. And I know that we are all hopeful that Liam Hendricks does recover uh, from this diagnosis. And I, I'm, I'm confident that he will. Uh, mm -hmm. even though he is right. I mean, at the age of 33, he turns 34 in February. I can't imagine going to the doctor's office, Jim, and being told you have cancer. Like, that That has to be quite the gut punch. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess the, you know, the one thing I think about is, like, we've seen in baseball media, uh, you know, a couple of high-profile, um, you know, battles with health. Like, you know, Emily Walden had breast cancer, and, um, you know, and right now Sarah Lings is is dealing with ALS, and, you know, and, and uh, Emily has, uh, you know, she says she's won her battle. You know, ALS is a lot uh, you know, different of a conversation, but, you know, she's, you know, Sarah's trying to make the most of it. But, you know, I, I guess those are the first two people I thought of in just terms of like, you know, this seems like it's been a thing recently of just learning about, uh, you know, people who, you know, shouldn't be having these thoughts, should, you know, in the primes of their careers and, uh, you know, having to deal with these very real challenges. So, yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> it's, uh, there's really a few other words. You can just pick synonyms of those words and keep coming to it. Uh, the one thing I thought of that was like baseball related was that I wonder if this is why Rick Hahn was not, you know, maybe that's why it, it interrupted the Andrew Benintendi announcement. Like if this was something that, mm. you know, uh, they didn't want to reveal. And so it was awkward that, you know, he had the Zoom call and then they had the separate press conference with uh, Pedro Grafal announcing um, Benintendi. And, you know, given the White Sox, you know, isolationist offseason, it did seem possible that, he just, you know, they weren't interested in the full fanfare of a free agent announcement. But, you know, and given that they didn't say anything, you can draw your own conclusions based on what they've done so far. But, you know, having seen that he said recently he was dealing with this, they might have had, you know, other things on their uh, table in terms of like, you know, learning about it, figuring it out, figuring out how to go about announcing it, figuring out. Uh, what the you know what they need from other guys uh, and, and just learning you know how to go about um, you know conversations with Pedro Grafal and Ethan Katz about late inning planning and and you know how to prepare guys going into spring training in the World Baseball Classic so you know perhaps that was on his mind and and you know looking back to you know last week and so it's just probably you know maybe that was the reason why and they couldn't say it because you know it's his thing to announce yes and you mentioned John Lester so for those wondering. When could you possibly see Liam Hendricks pitch for the Chicago White Sox? That really depends as far as the treatment and what his doctors advise. Uh, as Jim mentioned, John Lester was diagnosed in, in September of 2006, and he returned to the Boston Red Sox in the middle of the 2007 season. Uh, he famously threw a no-hitter during the 2008 season, and obviously John Lester went on to have a fantastic career with both the Boston Red Sox and the Chicago Cubs winning multiple World Series titles. Uh, Andres Galarraga, the big cat, was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and he had to miss the entire 1999 season 
When he returned in 2000 at the age of 39, he had 28 home runs, 100 RBIs, and he had an 895 OPS. So there are some high-profile players that have had to deal with what Liam Hendricks has done. And not only have they returned to playing Major League Baseball, but they've been returned to play at a very high level uh, in both Galarraga and Lester's cases. So that that's what we're hoping for here uh, as White Sox fans, that he can mm-hmm. recover quickly from this. And hopefully with the early screening process, they, they caught it early enough uh, that they are able to treat it and he can recover. Will he return this season? Not quite sure. What does this mean for next year? I, I don't know either. Well, so with John Lester, just it, it reminded me that in 2007, when he was making his return, uh, I went to a Charlotte Knights game in Pawtucket when he was rehabbing, you know, coming back from it. It was his first start for the Paw Sox in Pawtucket. And, you know, given that that's like 45 minutes away from Boston and you have a lot of, you know, they, they drew really well back in those days in Pawtucket. They're in Worcester now. But uh, it was a great way for Red Sox fans to see, you know, Red Sox then not pay Fenway prices. And I remember that he made a start against the Knights and I was there and just the the, the round of applause he got for taking the mound and, and the way the fans, uh, you know, support him. And basically like, you know, after you know, his first pitch, after his first scoreless inning, coming off the mound at the end of his start like yeah just everybody was behind him and so i imagine it'll be kind of a similar thing as he works his way back um you know whether it's you know going up up the rehab uh ladder or you know when he makes his return to a guaranteed rate field like that was something always stood out to me uh in in that start and uh you know that was given the career he's had since that's yeah like you said that's what you hope for is just uh, a mild inconvenience like it looked like you know like a you know Tommy John surgery like that on his record or like, you know, uh, that kind of uh, blip on his record. Obviously, it's a lot deeper than that. And hopefully, you know, it's, it's a case where just, you know, he's able to do some good along the way for some organizations in Chicago and, and elsewhere to, uh, you know, uh, bring some people and some uh, places and some organizations up with him as he's going through this. And to go back to Rick Hahn's statement, we do not expect to have any updates on Liam's playing status prior to opening day at the very earliest. That is a pre-warning shot to the media that you could ask questions, but the White Sox will not have answers on Liam Hendricks' availability uh, at the very earliest late March. So for everybody involved, whether that's working for the Chicago White Sox, Liam Hendricks' teammates, those of the media, what we do, fans, we're all kind of the same boat here. Uh, as far as Hendrick's status, that we, we we really don't know, but we're all hopeful that we can see him soon, and hopefully soon means the 2023 season, but Hendricks needs to take as much time as possible to recover from this cancer, uh, so hopefully it doesn't come back in, in future years. Uh, but all the best to Liam Hendricks and his family. This is It's always a tough battle when it comes to cancer, uh, especially for loved ones to, to hear that news. And, you know, for White Sox fans, that this is really tough to hear that they're not going to be able to see Liam Hendricks and his closer entrance, at least at the beginning of the season, while he fights this battle. Yeah, I would expect it to be, you know, kind of a second half. You know, that's kind of what I'm thinking, if anything, this year, like you know, give them all the time, but plan for going without them. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, I, I thought a good move on Rick Hans part, just saying like, 
you know, he won't be ready by opening day. So all the spring training stuff will be discussing the plans as though, you know, it, you just, just prepare your questions and prepare, um, your article, your coverage, what have you of just, um, as if they traded him just, it'd be kind of the same thing. Um, just, you know, going about, you know, Lopez crochet bummer, uh, you know, Graveman, et cetera. Hopefully, you know, it'll be a case where, you know, given it's Arizona and they train there and such like you, know, hopefully he'll be around to at least, uh, you know, present an optimistic, some good news. Like if he has good news on the case, like hopefully he'll be able to show his face and talk to people because we know like he likes talking to the media and such and is very open when, you know, he can be, you know, good times and bad baseball wise. So hopefully it'll be a case here where, you know, he's up for talking about and he'll have good news to share. Yes. And hopefully we do hear good news soon from Liam Hendricks about his process right now as far as treatment with the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So best of luck, Liam. We're all rooting for you for a quick and full recovery. And uh, it'll be great to see him back in a Chicago White Sox uniform pitching again in 2023 if he gets that chance. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. But coming up next in the episode, we will be recapping hashtag 108 day. And uh, AJ Pollock becomes officially an old friend next on the Sox Machine Podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. All right, so more uplifting. This past Saturday, we had our Hashtag 108 Day event that we tagged along with our friends from the 108s, representing everything that goes on with Hashtag 108ing at Reggie's The South Loop of Chicago. And it was a very fun time. I know a lot of people have FOMO these days, and uh, I definitely got... I definitely felt as far as the FOMO, especially on social media, as pictures were posted, Jim, of the night. But it was great to see you in person. I'm glad that there is no problems with Southwest Airlines for you mm -hmm. to get to Chicago from Nashville. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun time. 
Yeah, it was great to see you. Great to meet Lawrence for the first time after talking to him for so many times. I've never actually met him, so it was great to actually <laughs> shake his hand and say, uh, you know, thanks for uh, uh, sharing the score with us. Um, yeah, and also great to see the 108 guys' fun conversations. I got, uh, I would say, one and a half comments about people thinking I was 20 years older than I actually am based on my voice and my demeanor, I suppose. So uh, that's always... I, I take this as a net positive. I guess I'd rather be like, God, you're, uh, are you the crypt keeper? Like, yeah, just, uh, you sound like you're 40, but you turn out to be, uh, uh, yeah, 75, but yeah, it's kind of like, uh, you know, always get that. Uh, always also realize that my, my voice stamina, when it comes to talking in loud places, it needs some work because just, based on the last uh, few years between the pandemic and then having a baby, just don't spend a lot of time in loud places uh, talking to people at loud volume. So basically, you know, by the last hour, I was sounding like I was 13. Uh, you know, oh, hey, guy. You know, <laughs> so yeah, I, I basically ran the gamut age wise, I think, but no, it, it was a great time. Uh, great to finally get the whole Reggie's vibe after hearing about it for a couple of years and, uh, you know, hearing the legend of, uh, 108 days past and yeah, great meeting everybody too. Yes. And for those that did get a chance to come, it'll happen again next year. Uh, we're looking at finding a bigger venue so you could have more people. We had over a hundred people at the event Saturday night, and I feel like we could have even more and just the excitement and the buzz for those that attended and that they were excited for the event and the place, again, we sold out in just a couple of days back in November for this particular event. Uh, it does make me, again, a little bit confused on why the White Sox don't have Sox Fest. Because even if White Sox fans, the majority, are angry, they probably would have had really good sales for Sox Fest, especially if you brought up Oscar Colas or some of the younger players to get an opportunity for fans to meet them. And the new manager, Pedro Grafal. Grafal could have fielded questions from the fans directly and they got to be introduced to Grafal because the White Sox fans did not have a chance to meet Tony La Russa because there wasn't a Sox Fest the last couple of years or the two years that La Russa was the manager of the Chicago White Sox. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that would have been that would have been great. And I think the White Sox missed out on those opportunities. And 108 day just backed up my feelings about the White Sox are missing an opportunity here, not having Sox Fest. Yeah, the thing that confused me about like the lack of Sox Fest is that I know there would be a lot of vitriol and people on Twitter and, and Facebook saying like, "Can't wait to get Sox Fest tickets so I can you know Rick Rick rip Rick Han a new one or you know you know grill Pedro Griffal or what have you like you know." ask Lucas Giolito why he was such a disappointment, you know, just, but when it comes to actually spending the money, like most people won't spend that much money to be mad. Like most people who go to Sox Fest want to have a good time, want to bring their kids, want to meet their favorite players, want to, you know, get pictures, want to, you know, meet for the older fans, meeting uh, players that they liked when they were kids. Like it's, it's more for that than expressing air. I know that gets the news coverage because it is the newsworthy part of the uh, proceedings is what we learn from Rick Hahn's answers and Pedro Grafal's answers and the, the occasional flare-ups from the inner, you know, which have been fewer and further between because the White Sox 
between raising prices, then alternating the schedule to where the VIPs got like the most exclusive access and the people paying VIP prices aren't going to uh, yell at Rick Hahn, basically. <laughs> like that's generally the idea is, you know, just in, in like the last, I would say like eight years, I think of SoxFest has been always pretty muted and always pretty positive and upbeat and uh, whatever questions that do come up that are hard hitting can be deflected because there's usually like a kid right afterwards saying like, you know, what's your favorite color? And everybody laughs and just, you know, it's, it's not a sustained grilling usually. And I think even if it were, um, you know, whether it's, you know, Rick Hahn, whether it's Pedro Grafal having to answer for some of Tony LaRusso's crimes, which might've been the case, like, here's what I don't want to see from you. And, and somebody reads a list of everything Tony LaRusso did wrong. There's still, I think, uh, you know, as painful or as much as the White Sox personnel might not want to do it, there's value in just taking it and just saying like, yep, it was bad and just, you know, making sure you have some canned answers for, uh, you know, accepting it, like rolling with the punches and maybe having a joke that, you know, makes fun of you a little bit. Not like Jerry Reinsdorf talking about like, you know, we don't win enough games as though he doesn't have an active hand in it. But uh, you can there, there are ways to uh, support what the fans are saying, why they don't like you, why they thought you were a disappointment. And at the end of the day, like you win a little bit more respect for just standing up and, 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 and taking the rotten tomatoes or sitting in the dunk tank and just, uh, uh, letting it happen. So that's, I think, uh, a missed opportunity there. And if they come, uh, you know, stumbling out of the blocks, I think it's, uh, there is no goodwill that they built up, uh, that they can, you know, lean on for April, you know, like w w that Sox Fest might've provided, like there's just, uh, you know, they're, they're keeping fans at arm's length. We'll see what the ticket prices actually are when those come out and, and you know, what those look like, but treating the fans as though they're unwanted. <laughs> I think that's kind of the theme. It does, uh, make it, uh, a lot. Yeah. It does put the pressure on them to actually perform uh, or else you're going to see the attendance and ratings and just the entire discourse around the White Sox just plummet. And those sentiments were also shared in the first panel during hashtag 108 day with our friends, Lawrence Holmes, the six of the score and Herb Lawrence as well from CHGO. Like we're not the only ones that feel this way uh, with the way the White Sox have been handling, especially this off season. Uh, again, I think it's a missed opportunity. If we could sell out a place like Reggie's, there's enough excitement, even though people may be angry at the Chicago White Sox, mm -hmm. there's still excitement to do something. It's just going to look really weird when the Cubs have their fan convention, I think in a week or two in Chicago, and the White Sox have nothing. Like, it's it's, it's going to be weird. It's going to be a weird vibe. But for all those that met, met us at Hashtag 108 Day at Reggie's, thank you so much for introducing yourselves. And it was great to meet everyone. And I can't wait until next year when we do it again. And I can't wait to yeah. see a lot of you in Cincinnati for the Hashtag 108 road trip when the White Sox play the Reds May 5th through May 7th. Yeah, I think the, the, the well, the thing I learned from, uh, you know, just talking to people and listening conversations and watching the interactions is people want the, want to like the White Sox. Like it's a lot more enjoyable when the White Sox are enjoyable. Like, you know, I, I know that we often hear because we tend to have pessimistic reads on things or cynical interpretations of, you know, club explanations or whatnot saying like, you know, oh, you guys are happy when they fail and, uh, or just, you know, like guys are rooting for, you know, the, the worst possible outcome. So you'll be right. And like, no, it's, it's people want to like this thing. People, you know, 
right now, I, I think, you know, 108 day and just, you know, watching fans get together uh, and in various forms and uh, whether it's online or in person, just like they they lean on each other and, and we lean on each other. Just, uh, you know, get through it with gallows humor or whatnot. But uh, ultimately, like it's people are showing up to these things and putting money down, even if they're not spending money on the White Sox, they're spending money and time uh, on White Sox stuff because they they hold out a glimmer of hope that it'll be entertaining um, and not just fun, bad, or not just like a train wreck or, or a car crash. Everybody's rubbernecking past, um, you know, it, they, they want it to work. So that, that's kind of my lasting impression. It was a lot of, you know, kind of doom and gloom, or at least, you know, dour just because uh, that is the White Sox have so much to prove and there's no reason to give them any particular benefit of the doubt on a team wide level. But People want it to happen. People want to be proven wrong. People want Yasmani to Grandal to hit 25 homers, even if they hate him right now. People want Yohan Mankata to look like he did in 2019, even if music video jokes write themselves and are very easy to, to lean on for you know quick jabs. Like People want to ha- root for a good team. And ultimately, keeps coming back to that. And the White Sox, just you know by not showing up, uh, makes it hard to think that they have they're not putting money where their mouths are. Like when it comes to like, uh, you know, voicing optimism, well, it's like, well, if you're optimistic, why aren't you like talking to your fans? Why aren't you having Pedro Grafal out there? Why aren't you having, uh, you know, just as many, uh, starters and last year's team out there to meet fans? Like, you know, when, it, when you're not talking, it, it makes you think like, oh, it's, it's not good. And they kind of fear it's going to be not that good. Well, we have some baseball news as A.J. Pollock officially becomes an old friend. Pollock signed a one-year, $7 million contract as he'll be with the Seattle Mariners for the 2023 season. And for those keeping score at home, remember, A.J. Pollock turned down a player option for $13 million to play with the Chicago White Sox. Instead, he got a $5 million buyout. So he got $5 million in his back pocket from the White Sox. And now he'll get $7 million from the Seattle Mariners. So that's $12 million for those that could do quick math, meaning that A.J. Pollock has left a million dollars on the table. Or has he? According to USA Today's Bob Nightingale, A.J. Pollock also has incentives in his contract with the Seattle Mariners that he can earn an additional $3 million with the Mariners if he can hit those incentives. Those incentives have not been made public yet. But Jim... Let's say he doesn't hit those incentives for XYZ reason, poor performance, he gets hurt. AJ Pollock left a million dollars on the table to not play for the Chicago White Sox, and now he is playing for the Seattle Mariners. Does that give us any additional insight in what Pollock's thinking was when he had this decision in, or, uh, I would say, late October? I would say not really when it comes to just trying to project any kind of feelings or whether this is like a vote of confidence or a vote of, of no confidence in the White Sox. You know, it looked like he wasn't having fun on the field, but I think that's partially, you know, he does have resting, whatever you want to call it, say for the family face. Like, and, and it wasn't like, he didn't have a whole lot of highlights to where he's going to smile. Like a lot of it, he was struggling the whole year. So it's not like he's going to be, uh, you know, looking like he's having a lot of fun out there based on the way he was playing. There were a lot of just, you know, kind of blank stares out in the field after like a ineffective fly out, uh, you know, for the third out of an inning. So it, you know, it's easy to look at him and say like, he wasn't having fun. It's the White Sox fault. And maybe that's the case, but I think, you know, Looking at the deal he signed before learning about the incentives, 
I kind of looked at it as well, everybody's right. Uh, you know, we were, you know, it, we thought, or at least I thought that AJ Pollock was going to resign or, or you know, I, I thought the smarter call was for him to re-up the White Sox because he would be hard pressed to get $8 million on the open market. And he didn't, at least, you know, right now, but, you know, for $7 million, that's close. And when you look at it, like, is one million or or whatever you know percentage you know that is after taxes and such enough for like a lateral move? And if you look at it that way, like people talk about that all the time, like making I'm taking a slight pay cut, but it's better for hours, better location, more more what I want to do, working with people I want to work with, and you know any kind of reasons. Like people take uh, pay cuts all the time in order to position themselves in a better way. In this case, like. If he feared he was going to be blocked and if he feared his playing time was going to dry up or if he just, uh, you know, in this case, wanted to bet on himself like he both lost and won with this deal with the Mariners, because like it does look like they do have a little bit of a crowded outfield. He might be crowded out of it into like a role player role, but he might be in a, you know, it might be a better situation for him personally. It might be a case where. I'm not going to be traded like this team signed me. They're not going to trade me like White Sox might re-up them. Then they might send them to Detroit or something like that, like, or, or someplace that's not contending. So he could pick his location. He could pick a contender. He can sign knowing that he's not going to be traded at least for, you know, until the deadline, you know, you can't, you can't necessarily say uh, he'll last the full season, but probably for that, uh, uh, for a number of reasons, you know, it's worth it for somebody like him, who's already had a big payday to, you know, take a million dollar hits, which might not be a hit in the end, just to avoid like worst case scenarios for his future. Like he ends up on a White Sox team that gives him 150 plate appearances uh, and, they're, and they're not good. Like that's, uh, you know, that, that could be a case where like he made a million dollars more or whatever, but he could be kicking himself because now just like, how can he sell himself next time he's on the open market? So probably worked out for him uh, personally, even if it is like a little bit of money, like it's a professional decision and he didn't lose. Like, I think that that's probably the way to say, it. like, maybe he didn't win, but he didn't lose. Yeah, the White Sox, if Pollock decided to opt in, he would be the left fielder instead of Andrew Benatendi for the White Sox. Unless the White Sox could find a suitor to trade Pollock in this hypothetical scenario that we're going through. And that would have been worth $13 million. Instead, they pay $5 million because A.J. Pollock doesn't want to play for them anymore. And they sign... Andrew Benatendi to that contract, but his base salary for this upcoming season is just $8 million with a $3 million signing bonus. So to move from AJ Pollock to Andrew Benatendi for the Chicago White Sox this year, it's just going to cost them $3 million more with AJ Pollock leaving. Mm -hmm. If AJ Pollock had stayed, it would have been $13 million, but now that AJ Pollock has left, it's going to cost the White Sox a total of $16 million to have Andrew Benatendi play left field. Yeah, and there's also the just the resource saving in terms of effort. Like, you know, we saw with the Craig Kimbrell thing after they exercised his option, how long it took to trade him and how long it lingered over the proceedings. And is he going to uh, be an eighth inning guy or a seventh inning guy? How can he win back the confidence if he starts the season on the White Sox? And it looked very possible that he might have. And then, you know, at the end of spring training, A.J. Pollock becomes available and they make that deal. But who knows how many moves the White Sox didn't make because of the threat of Kimbrell's money being on the payroll, just, uh, you know, not knowing whether the outfielder they would need or thought they, you know, needed in the case, like Pollock just ended up giving the White Sox something they already had, which is, you know, the ability to hit lefties. But it took a lot of time and energy. And 
this is a case where you know Benintendi, the White Sox favorite, because now it just became they know what money they have. They don't have to try to trade AJ Pollock or figure out how to work with him, and they can just devote uh, you know the effort and the money to the most direct solution possible, which is signing Andrew Benintendi for money versus trying to find the right trade partner. So it does strike me as like. You know, mutual options are never exercised because just usually it's a way to, you know, like Mike Clevenger, like he has a mutual option, just a way to, you know, backload money to a second year, basically. It's like a glorified buyout or a you know, glorified deferred payment. But in this case, it was like a mutual option. Like it was mutually beneficial for Pollock to uh, reset his career in a place that might give him uh, a better opportunity for positioning himself for his, you know, the remainder of his thirties. And then you have a mutually uh, beneficial outcome for the White Sox in which they get the money and the outfield spots with no questions and able to pursue every solution, find the right one that worked for their budgets and, uh, you know, for all the other needs like left-handedness, uh, defensive abilities, on-base percentage, et cetera. So yeah, it was like the, the rare mutual option that wasn't actually a mutual option. In the end, it works out. I mean, it was a contract that A.J. Pollock signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Yes. That might be part of the reason he bought out uh, or he decided to take uh, the option, the option money from the White Sox and enter free agency because he didn't sign that contract with the White Sox. He signed that contract with the Dodgers. And that was the idea yeah. was I'm going to continue playing in Los Angeles and that did not come to fruition. So we'll see what Pollock does. I, I think from a roster standpoint, as far as a chance to contend, this is kind of an upgrade for A.J. Pollock when you compare the teams on paper between the White Sox and the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners are still going to have a tough time in the West uh, against the Houston Astros. They have to play better against the Astros uh, if they're going to overcome them and win the American League West. Um, but we'll see A.J. Pollock again, uh, this time as a White Sox opponent later in 2023. Yeah, the one thing I thought about with Pollock is, you know, you mentioned that Seattle uh, is in a better position. But one thing I thought about is thinking, like, which one's the better team when you balance divisions and such is with the more balanced schedule. Seattle has to travel a lot more like there's a lot, they already logged the most miles in baseball. And that was often times blamed for, you know, their postseason drought and their inability to sign like the, the premier free agents and like Robinson Cano was such an outlier for that reason. And they had to pay him like more than the Yankees were willing to just because of that. And like, now they have to travel even more. So I'm curious. Yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Hadn't really seen anything about that, but, uh, AJ Pollock signing there gave me reason to think about it in terms of just if you're if we're making our you know, preseason predictions you know over the course of the year for divisions uh, you know who's going to advance to the ALCS in the World Series it's one thing I'm I'm wondering about and kind of looking for every once in a while when I follow Seattle writers and such to see if they write anything about that because we heard so much about that when they're struggling. Uh, will that uh, be a challenge now that they're good or do they finally have the talent that makes it more or less a mild nuisance and we won't hear anything about that? We're going to find out. We're going to find out. But yeah, again, in recent news, I mean, AJ Pollock is with Seattle. Adam Engel is with San Diego. And that kind of follows up with uh, Danny <laughs> Mendick signed with the New York Mets. So the the ex uh, White White Sox outfielders and utility guys are signing with contenders. They're not signing with like the yeah. Tigers, Royals, or Pirates. Like these guys are are signing for contending teams. Maybe they're better than what we thought. <laughs> yeah. Two things about the angle signing is one. Like I I realize I have no idea 
how many players are on the Padres roster. It, it feels like their 26 man roster is like at 34 uh, and, and their 40 man's at like, you know, 51. Like it just, it feels like they keep adding guys and you never hear about the ones because they're so transactional. Just, you know, you don't hear about the, the players go off the roster and they, they acquire so many big names. Engel's not a big name, but he's known to us that it just feels like the name recognition is very high on that roster. Uh, and it makes it feel overstuffed. The other funny thing was I was at the airports uh, when that news broke and I was checking Twitter uh, because uh, the angle signing was uh, it lasted 13 minutes as the top uh, news story in the NL West before the Dodgers announced that they were not going to uh, uh, retain Trevor Bauer and that they're designating for assignment. So just his his time in the sun uh, for the division, uh, the new division for him lasted 13 whole minutes, uh, too short of uh, Andy Warhol. <laughs> Well, at least he got in the spotlight. I'm curious if he'll make the team because he said that's a that's a pretty stacked team that Adam Engel is going to be trying to help out with. But yeah, the the guys that White Sox fans were not crazy about, they're signing with contenders. So maybe the contenders are crazy about Danny Mendick, Adam Engel, and AJ Pollock. We'll see how they fare in 2023. Good luck, though. Happy trails. Yes, happy trails indeed. But that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you just discovered us, you can subscribe to the Sox Machine Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify and Apple Music. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. We take the full episodes of the podcast now, and we upload them into our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Sox Machine. We're inching closer to the 1,000 subscribers milestone. Uh, so if you could give us a hand, if you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, we would greatly appreciate it. Again, that's youtube.com slash sock machine. If you enjoy our work and you would like more, you can help support us at patreon.com slash socks machine, where our Patreon supporters, they get more. They get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of both the podcast and website. And when we have new socks machine swag in the store, they're the first ones to receive it. Monthly plans start at $2, or you can save with an annual subscription. Again, sign up at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. The Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com. You're home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball and part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening and watching. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.